0: So basically, what you're telling me is, if I put a gun in your face and asked you to show me your wallet, it would say "badass motherfucker."
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a lot's happened since yesterday.
1: And and, and you know what's funny? Uh, I know that things always happen too slowly for artists. You know, they're hot on something. They want to sell it to the public. And sometimes the album doesn't come out for two years, Yeah, you know, or if you're making, if you're making a movie, it's in post-production, it's in the can for three years, man, writing is the worst. I I mean, the, the, the novel that's coming out on January 25th, the sculptor, I finished that two and a half years ago. And the, the collection of short stories, some of those I wrote 30 years ago. Some of them I wrote half a year ago. I, I mean, is it okay if I talk about the two books a little yeah, bit? Yeah.
2: hundred percent. And just so you guys know, business. we're recording. We'll get an intro when we can. We're, we yeah, I've already been recording. This is good. Go for it.
0: This is all about you, brother. Yeah. I want you to push your stuff. And I want, I actually do want to talk to you about writing books and, and, and that part of the business, the entertainment business, sure. because it, you know what I mean? That's something that a lot of people don't realize it's a tough business, yeah. so let's talk about that. But go ahead and, and push the books first, and we'll go from there.
1: Oh, okay. Um. The, I, I I have two books out. Um. And I I started with the novel, so I'll talk about that first. Uh, the sculptor is a serial killer novel. Uh, it's my fourth novel. <clears throat> um. It's being put out by Nightshade Skyhorse, who they're best known for the best American best of anthology of short stories that comes out every year. The The biggest one is a guy named uh, Smith, I think, and he's in England. But um, Nightshade Skyhorse puts that out. A book they just put out was, you know, Donald Trump's uh, disgraced lawyer, Michael Cohen. He wrote a memoir and they're putting that out. So, you know, they're, they're not Penguin and Bantam Doubleday, but they're a step below, and and it's a pretty big publication for me. The funny thing is that that book is coming out January twenty fifth. uh I can give you the link if you want to flash it.
2: Like yeah, absolutely. In yeah, we'll put post production. Right we put it right along there. Yep. Yeah. You know how we do. <laughs> I,
1: yeah. No problem. I, I'll give that to you, and that's on pre order. And the funny thing is, I started writing its sequel this time last year. It was November eleventh. And right now I'm at about 68,000 words. I got to get to 80,000. Uh, I'm on the climactic chapter. So when that book comes out, I'm going to be shopping the sequel, which is really cool. I've never been that on top.
2: That's fucking cool, dude.
1: Yeah. So, so that, that's that. I, the, the serial killer in this one is 30 years ahead of everybody in tech. Uh, and he's a gaming master uh so he records like he's so good with tech he can record himself and you'll think you'll you're having a live conversation and he goes and he involves some people in like a pornographic kind of violent scenario where nothing good is going to happen to anybody and they have to get out of all these traps it's almost like saw but mobile oh you know what i mean it's not limited to like one space um the other book actually is a little more relevant right now, if, if I can talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Um, when the pandemic hit, um, I, I was already done the sculptor, the novel, and I did what every author wants to do. I took, and it was hard finding the fucking files for some of them. I got mm-hmm. my, my best short stories, and some of them I thought were good, didn't make the cut. And well, it's their shorter fiction. There's one novella in there that's 100 pages long. Um, but altogether, I got the 17 best, and I rewrote every one of them. Now, some of it was fun, and some of it was stuff that stumped me before. And they're all good, they've been published, you know, but I wanted to make them perfect. And I even put like COVID in some of them. I modernized all the stories and I put them together and I got a deal with Cemetery Dance. And they, the owner of Cemetery Dance just finished writing a book with Stephen King. Oh,
2: wow. So
1: wow. Yeah. Stephen King. Is, <laughs> yo, <Damn. laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I asked my contact there, his name is um, Brian Freeman. I, I, asked, I asked him, will you give my book to Stephen King? Maybe he'll give me a blurb for the cover. And he goes, we'll, we'll send it in a box with all the rest of the cemetery dance stuff at the end of the year. So <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll take it.
2: <laughs> uh, that was a nice you, way of saying, no, I'm not going to uh, do that.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, oh, but, that's no, but cool. that doesn't
0: mean he won't look at no, you know, it. Well, no, he,
1: he oh, might yeah. look at it. And yeah. actually I have a funny freaking story for you. Um, you know i'm not good at promoting myself on social media i'm i'm really not like i put up my buy link and nobody fucking looks that's why i started writing (laughs) reviews and and ralph's band ravenscroft was my first review and that turned into kind of a gig in itself yeah and i'm still writing for metalheads forever and um i don't know if i told you guys this um i volunteer the articles for for metalheads forever but um Chris Poland the uh the president of Eclipse Records they're a little boutique
2: metal I know Chris. Core label yeah.
1: yeah um he he has me freelancing the bio reviews for some of his new signings yeah. uh, so so uh, so it really turned into actually a little bit of a paying gig you know yeah. so it's it's kind of cool but anyway so I go on Facebook and I know that I'm not going to sell a lot of books off of Facebook, but I got to look like I have friends. Cause like, if I want to get to the higher level and I want to be a penguin author, I got to have friends. So what right. I did was I went on, I have 5,000 friends now and I know about 30 of them. <laughs> and, yeah, right. Cause, so Cause what I fucking did was I went into like horror groups and saw the members and just friended or whatever you do, you ask for a friendship yeah. as many as possible before they put me in Facebook jail for the day. And then I'd <laughs> stop. So I slowly built it up and I have 5,000 people on there. So this is a great story, man. That I, I saw a work of art that I like. Uh, I, I, like I don't even post much because I don't want to get into it with people. I fucking hate people. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So, like, when I see like a nice picture of Amsterdam, I just put the fucking picture up because that's where I want to go someday. Yeah. And if I see a nice work of art, I put it up there. And there was a lady named Vicky Vicky Flar, and I liked the picture she did, so I put it up there and shared it. And she wrote back saying, why don't we talk about what you could afford? And I go, I'm really not into that. I go, but I do write a column called Goblet of Shock for Metalheads Forever. And I could show your buy links and then I show mine. It's a way of kind of doing both. And she goes, that's really cute and everything. She's a little above that, right? She goes, that's cute. There's, <laughs> she goes, but there's a horror artist that you should know about named Lynn Hansen. And I'm like, okay. And amazingly, Lynn is already a friend on there. And it's not so amazing because I friended everybody and their fucking mother. (laughs) So I I send her a note and I go, you know, could I do an article on you? I'm a horror writer. We have something in common. You're a horror artist. And she was really nice. And and she was kind of very particular about where things should go. Like the most particular of anybody I've worked with. And I loved it. I I was like, let's put together a really nice article. So she sends me an email and she goes, Mike, I already know you. I go, how do you know me? She goes, I did the cover for your first novel, Alice Walks. Shut
2: up. Yeah, the the
1: electronic version that Cemetery Dance did. And they're the ones that just did my collection. And I was like, wow, that's so great. She goes, Mike, I got better news for you you're on my schedule for September and I'm going to do the art for dancing with tombstones, your new collection. So she says, do you know what's going to go on the cover if you talk to anybody? And with books, I usually don't get any say. Usually they kind of show me a picture and I say, yeah, you know, (laughs) <laughs> and, and here, Norman Prentice, who was one contact and Brian Freeman had asked me, what do you think should go on the cover? And I go, I don't know. I go, I know it's called Dancing with Tombstones, but it's 17 different stories. What do we do? Do we represent one of them? What do we do? So it was Norman. He said, why don't we have, it's Dancing with Tombstones. Why don't we have a broken ballerina doll? by a broken music box in front of a tombstone. And I was like, that sounds cool. So I told Lynn that. So she read all the stories, which is really, I I respect that. She read all the stories. And I have one scary clown story in there. So all of a sudden I see the cover and ain't no fucking ballerina. She put my likeness on the cover. Here it is. Can you see that? Now, when when you look at this freaking cover, OK, let me go like that. That's me.
2: Legit. All right. So
1: so I, I had three reactions. My first reaction was. Fuck it <laughs> it. <laughs> My second reaction was I'm a fucking clown.
2: <laughs> hey, OK, wait, wait, I have to put a time out because I grew up as a clown. This is no joke. My family had a circus. My form. Do not, oh not, cla- right, do not I knock my it. people, bro. Do not knock. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but then my third thought was that is a nod, man. When you're the scary clown, that's pretty in fucking the horror cool, business, yo. I'm a big fan of Terrifier and It and all those scary clown mm. movies, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yes. Yeah, man. So I mean, I looked on it as. It doesn't get any better than that, man. She even has like my hands are like circling my name, and yo, I told you I couldn't get I, I I didn't get a blurb from Stephen King, but I I was I was in an anthology with john shirley who who co-wrote the movie the crow and okay. he wrote and he wrote the blurb that's on the cover right there it's just it's too small i can't read it maybe i'll go i ahead. can pop it up
2: dude I'll, I'll if you can send me the picture i'll pop it up on the screen everybody can see it
1: that's what we'll do yeah 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 it, it, better than me trying to aim the book <laughs> very cool bro that's, that's so is fucking a, awesome that bro. is a
0: really great story dude yo i'm Thank i gotta you. tell you man that's it's you know And that's the thing. That's one of the topics we cover on this show is the fact that necessarily having monetary success isn't necessarily the only thing that makes you shine as an artist. No, You know what I mean? The fact that you have done the things you've done and people appreciate your work on a big level and you've got (laughs) you've got the, the big players in the game looking at your stuff and working on your stuff. I mean... You're undeniable, dude. Oh, uh, thanks,
1: man. I, I'm psyched that I got you looking at my stuff, man. Uh, <laughs> it's
0: a small world, brother. <laughs> it's a small world. You brought up you brought up Chris. I know Chris. I I talked to Chris for years. We we discussed a record deal at one point you know what i mean eclipse records yes absolutely yep. i've 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 been there done that. <laughs> <It's where laughs> goes. but that's the thing is that and he's a nice guy he's a good dude he's a hard-working individual i've got nothing bad to say about it. i'm glad you and him are working w- with each other and doing some cool stuff um it, it didn't work out for me to work with him uh, or me and cody because at the time cody was in the band with me That. Just you.
2: Underground. That's Just why you. that name sounded familiar. Yes. I didn't want to say anything, but I'm like, well, I, I Eclipse mm-hmm. rang a bell. Eclipse. That's right. Eclipse. That's, Eclipse. Right. That's yep. right. It's yeah. when we we're pushing hey, God on the mic.
1: Yeah, let me tell you, they're, they're a really nice label. And going along with what Ralph was saying, when I was 32 and I decided to get out of music permanently, pretty much. Um, if you told me that I'd be talking to to Ralph and Cody on a podcast. We didn't even know what fucking podcasts were back then. (laughs) But if you told me that I would be talking to you guys about knowing the president of of a boutique independent record label and that I wrote a review on Cauldron of Deceit, I've already been I was on their first show, uh, you know, the first podcast and that I'm writing the bio reviews for deathcore bands. I would have said you're fucking crazy and and to me uh, that, that's what it's all about I mean uh, uh, here, here's another one for you yeah i I have a student that I had last year right her name's cassidy uh really nice kid and she she was on the soccer team at Immaculata and she uh was always interested in my fiction. And I said, wait until my books come out next year. And she contacted me and said that she needs help with uh, she's making um, cover letters for her master's degree. And that, you know, that's the stuff I do in my sleep, man. I, I mean, I like just last week, I graded 150 papers and I usually write a paper for every paper I get. So you can kind of picture what the job entails. Yeah. And for me, it's just a, it's just a pleasure, you know, and I was teaching my Immaculata class like a couple of days ago. And another young woman who sits in the front, her name is Allison. She goes, hey, Mr. Aronovitz, you're on my cell phone in the middle of class. <laughs> and I go, what do you mean I'm on your cell phone? And she goes, well, I'm on the soccer team. My old friend Cassidy just bought your book and shows the whole class. I mean, there, there's nothing better than that, man. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I, I came to the conclusion years ago that my dream of playing like the Philadelphia spectrum with all of the ads going on the flashing signs around the room. And there are 20,000 people with the green lights going like that and all the fucking lighters and everybody moving at the same time. That was not going to be my reward. I knew that. I, I realized that 30 years ago. And for me, when I get somebody to hold up that phone like that for the whole class to see, that's a fucking lighter, yo. Damn
2: skippy, dude. That's Damn wind, fucking bro. skippy, dude. It's a fucking win. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and so that's what it's all about, man. Yeah. And, and yo, look, I, would, I wish I could tell you that my third novel, Phantom Effect, which came out by the same publisher that's doing The Sculptor, I wish I could tell you that I sold 50,000 copies. I didn't. Uh, when, when you add everything up, I sold about seven or eight. Uh, the goal for a new writer was 10, if it was the best case scenario. So I, I came close, man. Yo, out of those 8,000 people, I know 100.
2: Hmm.
1: But, right? So, so that I'm not good at math, that, but that's still a lot of fucking people that are reading something that came from my heart and my soul. And I worked hard on it. And they read it and got some pleasure out of it. Or maybe they even fucking hated it. But either way, they got me into their bloodstream like eating a beefsteak.
2: But that's... <laughs> right? Eating a beef- well, that's the beautiful thing about art, though. Everybody thinks that if, if you don't like art, that it's bad art. And it's like, no, art is designed to make you feel, think, challenge a perspective, something. If it's done that, it's been successful. So even if somebody I- comes up and goes, I didn't like it. Hey, you, st- you still... Consume some art and you got something out of it. You had a reaction. That was the point. Maybe it wasn't a pleasant one, but it still was. You know, Um,
1: Cody, what you've just described is exactly what I do for a living. And I want to explain it this way. When I ask my students what makes something a classic, the first thing they say is it was a bestseller. and, And I say some weren't. And they go, it's got a great happy ending. I go, some of them don't. Well, it was a great book. Some of them aren't. And they're like, well, well, what makes something a classic and what makes a classic is when it becomes a platform for a conversation that we have in class and it's always fucking relevant, whether you hate it or you love it. Yeah, we create our own text off of that platform. That's a classic because it's timeless.
2: That's right. It stands the test of time.
1: Stands the test of time and we can always have something to talk about. If something's dead in the water, it's not a classic, even if it was a bestseller, you know, when its time. So I agree with you, Cody. I yo, I'll tell you the truth. I love when somebody says they love my book. I gotta admit, I like that.
2: Of I love when
1: somebody <laughs> says they fucking hate my book. The thing I hate the most is when they go, uh eh.
2: yeah, oh man,
1: that's like <laughs> saying I'm a nice guy. Nice. What the <laughs> fuck is nice? <laughs> Nice. I'd rather you fucking hate me, man. Or well, fucking love me. You bet and if you're gonna love me, you better love me with everything you got because I'm gonna give you everything I got. That's
2: right. You know what I mean? Michael, you are one intense motherfucker, dude. I love you, bro. You, yeah, there's a reason why I like this dude. No, no,
0: Mike. I gotta ask you though. And I don't want to get on this negative topic because I know that this has been worn out, but I do think we need to cover it. Um, you know, you and I have had discussions on the phone before um, about the music business and sure. basically the decay of, you know, how it's going whereas when it comes to the monetary compensation part. People still consume the concept all day long, mm-hmm. but they don't really pay for it anymore, most of them. Well, what do you
1: mean by that, though? Uh, well, just explain to me. some
0: of them do. Some of them do. But there's also a lot of greedy people in mm-hmm. the business end of it. Mm-hmm. The Spotify. Right. Their percentages on, on streams, you know, because that's the new thing, streaming. The percentages on streams has been low as hell for a long time. And now they're making it low yeah so, so so how do you make a living Ralph? That's what I'm talking about bro I'm asking you the same question when it comes to a writer a professional writer like you who's respected mm-hmm. very respected amongst the publications the, the, the you know the, 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 the other writers uh, all the people that are in the business, myself, Cody, we all love your work, man. It, and we know that's you're right. a pro. We know you're a pro. So that's the question is my question for you is how do you handle the fact that there's not much money in it anymore?
1: Cause I make my money teaching, man. Mm. Um, and, and you know what? Are you I, okay
0: with that though? Are you okay with uh, artists not being able to support themselves
1: via their art strictly and they have to take on jobs and day jobs and stuff like that hey uh, look if we lived in a fantasy society i would be able to just write books you -hmm. know what i mean but you know what's funny about that ralph things change for me um i i just talked about this in an article i wrote actually uh for metalheads forever um I used, I used to be very bitter about exactly what you're talking about. I used to be very bitter, like in my 30s and 40s. And I was like, I think I'm better than a lot of people out there. How come I'm not making the money? How come I can't get, get the connections? How come I? Oh, that whole fucking thing? And what ended up happening is uh, about 10 years ago, I started teaching college. And right now, if you ask me which I like better, it's, it's a toss up. Um, I really like going into the classroom and I know it sounds boring as shit, but I like rhetoric. I I like teaching how to write an analysis paper and and to teach somebody that you know the proper introduction has an attention, getter background information, preview of support and a thesis. I like teaching about topic sentences. I like talking about rambles, run-ons, comma, splices, and pronoun antecedent. This stuff is an art to me. (laughs) Do do you follow what I'm saying? And now and actually now it's it's gotten even better because tutoring, I'm a professional tutor also. I tutor for the University of Delaware 10 hours a week. And it used to be a little more uncomfortable when we did it in person, when you're sitting there kind of looking at a manuscript. But now with Zoom, and they just share their screen, and I can actually, its I almost feel like an artist doing it. Uh, and also I learned how to speed read. So while they're correcting one sentence and making sure it's... Par- <laughs> w- speed
0: read.
1: W- <laughs> yeah, so while, while, while they're correcting like something that's not parallel or they have a subject predicate problem, I'm reading ahead and I'm saying, well, you have too much of this and you have too much of that. And I can, I can speed do a paper um, and it's become something that's sort of artistic for me. Because I use it in my art when when I write, I'm being the professor at the same time and I'm advancing two pages and I'm going back 20 and speed reading those and fixing everything. So kind of the two things have merged. And right now, I'm an adjunct and that means I'm not full time. I don't have a PhD. I have two master's degrees. I, I have a master's in education and a master's in literature. My, my specialty is modernism and Ernest Hemingway. Um, but uh, so I'm, I'm not full time at any university. I get contracted for classes every semester, and every university has a majority of three that I can teach. Right now I'm teaching seven classes at three different universities plus 10 hours tutoring. so I'm immersed dude. Oh, I'm, wow. and, and I get to touch every one of their lives. I get to make sure when you come through my watch in college, I'm there's you only have to take comp 101. No matter what number they put on it, you only take it once. If you if you have any other English classes, you go to a different mode. You're not doing papers anymore. You're doing creative writing or intro to literature. I get you when you're a freshman, when you're fucking 18, you're a little baby. And I get you yeah. I'm and I'm going to mold you and fucking shape you into the soldier you got to be for the rest of your college career. I take that seriously, yo. And I love it. I don't just love it. I fucking love
0: it. So basically what you're telling me is if I put a gun in your face and asked you to show me your wallet, it would say "badass motherfucker.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, but i can no, see what that no, is though dude, would, it, it, it helps would, you scratch would, that itch I would, no, 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 I, I, would, I would pull my
1: wallet out and it would say hand your fucking paper in or you're gonna get a zero <laughs> no but um, i i i'm gonna tell you something um writing is a is a real isolated thing um and my wife is a saint she lets me write you know yeah. what I mean? That means I need hours and I'm isolated, and then I send it out and then I get a response, and then it's three years later when I'm not even connected with it <laughs> anymore that it gets published. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I think that the two art forms are connected because I talk about my writing in class all the time. Um, I have assignments where they have to read articles that I've written. Uh, Ralph, I've actually had people read the Ravenscroft article and <laughs> listen to cauldron of deceit you know what i should have done i i should have had them do a writing assignment and send them to you that would be really cool um, <laughs> good, i appreciate
0: there, that dude i really uh, do
1: well you're the fucking best <laughs> um, but but there's there's something about having somebody in front of me and i'm tough yo I'm a nice guy, but you have to understand that I'm a disciplinarian also. Like I don't have, I don't have students whispering to each other in my class. Hmm. Uh, And they're busy from front to back. And I take it really seriously. I I tell students when they come into my class, do me a favor. If you want a teacher who doesn't give a shit, and I say it that way, who's just going to kind of grade your papers and let you go on your way. I want you out of here. I want you to withdraw. Because I take you seriously. I'm going to know your name in a week. And then on on a given Saturday, when I get out my pile of papers to grade, I'm going to be sitting in my robe down in my fucking living room and I'm going to pull your paper up and a little picture of you is going to come up in my head. And I'm going to wonder, (laughs) I'm going to wonder, how are you going to fucking occupy my time for 20 minutes? And you better not let me down or I'll come to your fucking house. I literally say that.
0: You know what, dude? The funny part is, you really don't even have to say all that. You could just pull out that wallet that says "badass motherfucker,", motherfucker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and don't right. get the point right away. <laughs> Yo, I gotta, sh- I, I gotta show you guys something. You just reminded me. Um, they, they have me teaching. Um, I got my first two hundred level class actually my second, at University of Delaware last spring. And we were all virtual, but I got to teach intro to film. And that was really cool for me. Like, you would think that when you take that in college, like every one of the movies is a boring black and white film noir with subtitles, with some asshole walking on the beach... <laughs> pondering his delicate fucking genius yeah but but i got to choose the movies i fucking wanted so i did silence of the lambs seven terrifier oh, yes. nice. right I, I mean i did good fellas oh, i did yeah. all my favorite fucking oh, movies yeah. and pulp fiction was the highlight of the class yes and and yo i want to tell you something like over uh, my my break i had to study the textbook and the textbook is this Looking at movies, okay, and the narrative part of it, like script writing, I'm an expert on, so I could go through those parts really fast and add my own shit. But there was a lot about cinematography and you know computer generated animation, and it was a really technical class. I'm going to tell you why college is great. Um, okay, sure. <laughs> we need to know. <laughs> Well, you're the one that asked the question, am I satisfied doing my job and not making money off the books? And I do make money off both, but I make more off teaching college. And we, I, was, I had 36 students. That's massive. Yeah. 36 students on, on Zoom calls. I never had more than one absence a week. And I had them twice a week. And it was a different person most weeks. None of them showed their faces except two or three. A lot of them just have their name up there. That's common in college. Hmm. But you know how you have a chat? The chat usually in the average class has maybe 10 comments. My chat had over 200 comments per class. They were so fucking into it. I didn't even lesson plan. I didn't even lesson plan. All I did was show up and say, what the fuck do you want to talk about today? And everybody was like raising their hand. It was like, boom, boom. And it was all relevant. It's all about the movies. Some people were talking about the colors. Some people were talking about the acting. Some pe- Yo, you know what movie they liked the most? And this shows their generation, Joker. That was Ooh, their favorite fucking movie really? because it doesn't have a genre. It's got a scary hmm. clown, but it's not a horror movie. It's got a gun in it, but it's not a gun movie. It's got murder in it, <laughs> like a gangster movie. That's the way they film it, yeah. but it's not a gangster movie. Yeah. It's got a guy who's got a mental disability, but it's not a public service announcement. So He kills had- three
2: people, but it's not a horror movie.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, the students had so much fun talking about that. And then you think well, it's a superhero movie? No. Okay. <laughs> I do not. Um, in fact, one of my criticisms of Joker is that they brought in Bruce Wayne as a child and his father as a character. Yeah. And my biggest, did you guys see the movie?
2: A bunch of times. I love it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was a my, great.
1: Movie. My, my complaints about the movie and the only one is that. And go with me on this. If you bring in Bruce Wayne, then the Joker that I'm looking at is the Joker that is Batman's number one nemesis in the future. And to make that movie work, I believe the disability. I believe the actor. I was with him the whole way. But you have to show me at the end of the movie that he's so demented You have to show me the beginnings of there's an evil genius there. And and I didn't get that. All he did was shoot people. Now, one of my students came up with something really fucking interesting. He said, if you remember. The one who shoots Bruce Wayne's parents in the alley at the end of the movie is just somebody protesting out in the street with a Joker mask. Yeah, it's not him. And his theory is that that guy is the real Joker. And the one we were seeing is only the inspiration for the Joker, which I thought was really fucking cool. But like my point was that's cool and everything, but I don't get satisfaction until the second movie. Mm. And I'll tell you, they, they had hints of giving me the real, like who the Joker's going to become and the evil genius. They showed me him visually realized when he finally wears the purple suit and the clown makeup and he goes down the concrete steps doing that dance Mm. in the rain or the grayness. Yeah, that
2: symbolic descent into madness where he's becoming himself. Yes, Yes. so
1: we get it visually, but I didn't get the evil genius. The closest they came, Was that awesome scene that was almost in black and white where he's upset and he opens the refrigerator door you're shooting it from the side. Mm -hmm. He's a profile and he takes out some of the shit on the shelf. And then he takes out the stuff on the bottom shelf. And then he takes out the crisper and he takes out the racks and then he takes everything out and gets in yes. and closes the door because he needed to be alone. God yeah. damn it. And <laughs> right. And and that was I, a good
0: scene. You're I, right.
1: it was awesome <laughs> because I see the level of his depravity. I see it and I get it. And I sympathize with it. I wanted to see him outsmart somebody because nobody would go that low nobody would be that far out there and i didn't get that all which I got even was-
2: doubles down on your students analysis because he wasn't That's- that guy he was kind of the hapless i'm just i'm just losing it and fuck everything i'll just put a bullet and you move on so he wasn't the genius that the joker is implying he wasn't the joker he was just some kind of nutter who didn't know what the hell he was doing
1: and we should write the, the second part, man. Let's. Okay. Do it. <laughs> okay. All right, in, we're, gonna, we're gonna but, start writing. Okay, yeah, you, so you heard you, your first so We're no, gonna write the sequel the to the Joker.
2: Is, you know Joaquin, the get is. ready, brother. To-
1: hold on, you're talking about somebody who remembers foreshadowing earlier in the conversation, and I'm a horror writer. One of if we're gonna write that movie, one of us has to die because we only work we only work well in pairs. <laughs> And I, I got news for you. It ain't going to fucking be me.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, here, here's the plus side. You do that, dude. I would just be willing to be like, you're the writer. So you're the head guy. So you're one. And then me and Ralph are like the guys like, hey, but what if we'll just count oh, no. as two? <laughs> <Fuck you laughs>
0: know, I'll take the bullet and let you guys enjoy your life. I don't the give fuck? a fuck.
2: But anyways,
0: <laughs> no, listen here. I want to talk to you about one more thing before we move on and, and, and push uh, your stuff. And close this up but i wanted to ask you about a movie that's very relevant a horror movie i hope the i've new, seen it the new halloween
1: oh did you see it
0: already yes i've seen it have you seen it no and oh, my, okay. my whole family
1: okay. is pumped for it now okay. hold on you're talking about my favorite movie of all time which is halloween one 1978 really john okay. carpenter he wrote that yeah. mm-hmm. that's four or five time or some weird fucking mixed meter time. Oh, and yeah. his, his son was playing it on the bongos. Now, I, I might lose a friend here. I hope I don't. <laughs> Who <cares>? <laughs> <laughs> All Who right. Um, I didn't like the Rob Zombie versions. I thought they were poorly written. And okay. I haven't really liked anything as much as the first.
0: Do you and, like Rob Zombie's work? Just on a side
1: note, any of it? Um, I like his music. Um, I he's had a couple of movies that were famous that I didn't see. I've only seen the Halloween stuff. It was it was visually beautiful, but it was written poorly.
2: I liked hmm. the first one a lot better than the second one, personally. Okay. Didn't he do a second one? He did do a second one. Yeah. He did oh, more yeah. than one. Yeah, yeah. The first one I thought was cool because of just the little extra origin story from when he was a kid. I thought that was inventive. But I don't, I, I don't know that I liked it as much as the original. So
0: you haven't caught any of his other work outside of the Halloweens? No. Okay. All right. Okay.
1: But, but I, I am very psyched to see the new Halloween. Now, now here's my feeling about the first one. <clears throat> you have to understand that uh, that was an independent film in 78. They didn't have a lot of Hollywood backing. Uh, Donald Pleasance was the one that made the most money as an actor. He's the psychiatrist. They paid him 20 grand. They only had, they had a little less than $200,000 to make the movie. Good And God. even though money was worth more back then, uh, that'll buy you a camera and a fucking light. Yeah, that's so low budget for <laughs> a movie. <laughs> right? Holy shit. And, and Jamie Lee... <laughs> Huh? Jamie Jamie Lee Curtis was, was relatively new on the scene. Nobody really knew her. But she was the perfect scream queen because she's the daughter of Vivian Lee, who was in the shower scene in Psycho. Um, now, I have a theory about that movie. First of all, there were a lot of firsts uh carpenter was the first one to put you in the killer's point of view and be walking as the killer as in the first scene okay. when little michael puts on the mask that's done by with a panaglide it's strapped to your body and nobody had ever done that before if you want to see some of the best panaglide work and they may have another machine to do it now uh, Goodfellas, when they go down the steps into the restaurant and then he gets the seat right up front yes. when he's on the first real date with his girlfriend when they like each other. Uh, <clears throat> Carpenter is the one who came up with that. He started that. Mm. Now, <clears throat> a lot of people talk Hitchcock about... Hitchcock didn't do that? Oh, he might have. I, I I think that the first one... The one, one used, scene
0: from Psycho where the guy is like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how they did that trick, but... It's like the camera's zooming in, and at the same time, he's going back.
2: I don't know. What well, mean, you're you're talking scoring. about you're talking about a vertigo shot. You're vertigo. You're, ta- you're talking okay. about the vertigo shot where it looks so, like the background is rushing the, the back the, of your head. The,
0: the, what do you, no, what the, you uh, call it, Michael? Yeah, Ralph, what did they Ralph, call Ralph, the, the
1: the camera. Well, that, uh, the way they do that effect, uh, Steven Spielberg did that in Jaws. Uh, yes, that's yes. That's where you have the camera on the dolly and you literally physically back it up at the same rate of speed that you zoom the lens in. Something's gotta give and the background spreads. Wow. Um, but, but Carpenter, another thing that he did, he loved the jack in the box effect where something jumps into the shot. And when he did that, he filmed the he filmed everything on volume five. But when he had one of those things come into the shot, suddenly he had a stinger which was a synthesizer going, Bew! And he had that on volume 10. So everybody threw their fucking popcorn. Now-
2: the, the, every, I almost did this now, dude, I'm not gonna lie. The, the, the thing
1: that everybody,
0: this is kind of like- made me spill my drink. <laughs> um, the,
1: the thing about uh, about Halloween one that a lot of people complain about is that the dialogue is stupid and it is they they say totally like 50 times but my theory about that is that every scene the dialogue only had the purpose of being a rhythmic build up like it doesn't even matter what's being said it's phonetically how it sounds almost like music
0: mm-hmm. right.
1: and it's a rhythmic build up to a michael myers sighting where okay build it up build it up oh my god is he there oh he's between the sheets shaking in the wind or is he there is yes he's behind the bush now he's not
0: and, and they had and, a bunch of different act, uh, actors play the role too yes uh, they did yeah, that's weird i was like but, whoa i thought it was one dude but it's
1: not no. it, it was at least two Uh, The one who played him the most in the full body shots, like the full shots where you see everything was one guy, the guy who got demasked in the end, they do pull his mask off and he looks like a regular guy (laughs) in the end, it's at the top of the stairs. Uh, that was a different actor and it's so funny because Carpenter used to talk about that when she pulled off his mask and he just looks people would scream and it just looks like a regular guy yeah you we would expect
2: would... to be like some deformity or scars or jacked up or an ugly <laughs> yeah. monster type dude exactly. freaking leon from the fucking 7-eleven down the corner just staring at you
0: exactly. <laughs> I know, right? well, how do you go through that much uh damage and not get it's fucked up, <laughs> you know
2: what I mean? It's like, like, fuck,
0: dude. They burned the guy, they shot the guy, they stabbed he, the guy. I mean, it's just kind of like they. He's the boogie man, fire you, know? <laughs> him, you know what I mean? And it's like he still looks like a normal dude from Seven Eleven. Yeah. So it's yeah. <laughs> well,
2: funny, I think but... I think also though, like Michael was saying with the with the rhythmic of the dialogue, and I think, and maybe it's just because of the history of horror and how we've progressed. If there isn't a small amount of campy, cheesy bullshit. It pulls you out of it. Like, I expect a horror movie to give me a giggle, go, that was dumb. That, okay. You know, like, I want that in in my horror movies. I don't like it when it gets so serious. Well, let me
0: ask you guys. That's a good point, Kobe. Let me ask you guys this. Do you think there has to be humor? I mean, you're basically saying it, but I want to make sure we're making the point clear. Do you think there has to be humor in these movies, these horror movies, for people to, the average person to accept them? has to be like absolutely has to be
1: see now you're making me go back and think of the serious horror movies um and let's take silence of the lambs right Mm -hmm. that is a horror movie in the edgar Allan poe paradigm of detective horror Mm -hmm. and even something as serious as silence of the lambs when he is on the Hand truck, and they're transporting him from one plane to another to send him to the high security facility. And he's tied up like this, and he's wearing a hockey mask kind of thing. He says to the mother, who's a senator of the girl who's in the well, he goes, Love you, suit. Right? Yeah. He's even cracking jokes. Yeah. So, yeah. you know what? I think they're in it now. You're making me think about my horror books. And I don't usually go for humor because I'm not a funny guy. Like at least not when I write. And I'm wondering, now you're making me think, are there things in there that are ironically funny? And you know what? I have an answer for you. I I wrote, um, my second novel is called The Witch of the Wood. And it's a fantasy, crazy fucking thing where there are witches living under the roots of every tree. So if you freed all the witches... It would be a natural disaster because every tree would topple down in the world Hmm. and i mean i had people in old age homes becoming ghouls that rode wolves that (laughs) killed people and somebody said you know what after a while this became a comedy and at first (laughs) right and and at first i was offended and i asked the guy who published it his name is derek hussey he works uh, at hippocampus and he said mike are you kidding me? I published this because it's fucking funny. So I had to I had to relook at everything. Yeah, I I think there's a point there. Uh, does every horror movie or book have to have it? No, but I think it is a staple. It's hmm. a trope, man. T-R-O-P-E What does trope mean? I'm the English guy I should know that That's that's one word It just escapes me I never learn it As many times As I look at it (laughs) I I always take
2: it As like a mechanism Like I My brain interchange Like it's a mechanism In creating something Like a trope is like Something you pull Like you said, humor or the killer clown. So it's a a typical,
1: it's a typical mechanism. Stereotype.
2: Yeah. And a stereotype that people use to tell stories. That's the way I call it. If we're wrong, I'm sure we'll hear about it. So it's all good. But uh, that's how I always took it. Like,
0: well, there, there, there are certain movies in my opinion that had uh, obvious levity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Um, Look at movies like the exorcist. I'm sure there's something in there. Um, Oh yeah. I
1: can tell you the moment. Ralph, I can tell you the moment. Uh, And I'm not an expert on The Exorcist. That's one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I'm not scared of anything. Yeah. But that movie movie fucking creeped me out. Especially, (laughs) they they had no computer-generated animation. Yeah. In the scene where she... They call. I think they call it the spider walk. She has her hands yes. backward yes. Right. and she goes backward down, down the, the stairs. stairs. Yeah. At the end of that, she looks at her mother and goes.
2: Eh, 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 oh my with God! It's right. It's dumb as shit. Looking. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it's a Gene Simmons moment.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> and so so even that movie has a moment of that kind of sick
2: humor. Or okay, well now let me put it to this way. Let me present this. Is it. I'm sure, obviously, in a lot of movies, it's deliberate. They want those little points of levity, and you know, because you want that balance to. It can't be stairs too long. But sometimes I think it's our brains going so far into the dark that we just start laughing at shit. Because like, I can't take this anymore. It's too much. Give me something to giggle at, you know. And then the demon girl goes up and starts making faces at her mom, and you just start laughing because you're like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I need a break. You know. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much it is that.
0: Well, what's the uh, what's the uh, what's the producer or the director or I don't know? I think he's the director um, that made the Army of Darkness film and I, 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 it,
2: it, oh oh oh, Evil Dead, the Evil Dead Evil movies Dead, and stuff, the yeah, Evil Dead trilogy. Oh, there's yeah. total um, camp in that. That's comes, campy as yeah. hell, right? That's yeah. designed so what's for the, campy.
0: What's that guy's name? Do you guys remember his name? I it's don't like, remember. Like, his ah, name. Here, go ahead, keep
2: talking. Him. I'll look him up. But you want to know anyways. the director or the writer?
0: The, well, the guy, the guy who makes them, Okay. You no, know? I think it's the director. I think it's like Ramsey or some shit. Yes. Yes. I don't know. It's
2: Ramsey. Um. I'll do it right now, but I'm pretty sure that's his name.
0: But yeah, the Evil Dead series, that was totally campy. You know what I mean? And that was purposely campy, I believe. I believe that's his style. You know what I mean? And it did very well. Look, they were able to uh revise it with the series.
2: Sam Raimi. Not that long ago
1: and the Zombieland movies they're they're part comedy Uh, you know Ethan Hawke who was in the movie Sinister and I wasn't a real fan of Sinister I have my own reasons for not liking it but he's a good actor and Mm -hmm. he said that he was a little nervous about doing horror until and this is a good quote until he realized the timing is very similar to comedy Hmm. which is very interesting to me. And I don't, I'm not a comic, so I don't know about that kind of timing. I do know about horror timing, because I write it.
0: Right.
1: You know, but I, I can, i you know, if I use a little imagination, I can see where he's going.
2: Yeah. Well, let, let, let's actually go down that road. Um, Can you pull your mic up just a little bit? You're, you've gotten quieter. Mike. Perfect. Um, Just like in music, you hit beats. If you're a metal band, you do certain things, and you hit certain beats to keep with your genre and keep with your style and stuff like that. Um, Horror movies do the same thing. We just talked about, you know, if you're a killer clown, you have certain stuff. If you're a vampire, you're going to have certain things that are going to be consistent. Um, I guess the question I was going to ask is what we were just talking about. Like what is, when you're writing a story for you specifically, do you look at a movie and go, I'm going to pull that and make a story out of it? Or you know what I mean? Like what beats are consistent for your writing style?
1: Um. I like to think that I'm kind of eclectic and that each one has a different focus. Love it. Um, I know what my favorite movies are. I will tell you this, I I won't write anything unless, I I never outline the whole thing. I'm a discovery writer, which makes it fucking scary because if you're writing a long piece, you could work six months and not know if your ending is gonna make sense. And believe me, I'm very happy when I know my ending. It's just the way I, I roll. Um, but usually the way I start is, is not necessarily, I'm trying to think if I ever had a movie that I started with, um, my first novel, um, I wanted to, originally, I wanted to remake the story of Bloody Mary, because I didn't remember that it was a lot. And I looked online and all it is, is a couple of sentences. It's look in a mirror say bloody Mary three times and then in the reflection there'll be there'll be a mom with a bloody baby and she throws the baby at you.
2: Right. And I
1: right. thought that's fucking stupid. <laughs> and uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then all of a sudden I got a vision in my head of in the suburbs, first night of November snow, nighttime. In front of a mausoleum, there's a 14-year-old girl in a green burial dress, and she drowned. And she looks like water eaten and waterlogged, and she's floating in front of the mausoleum. And all of a sudden, somebody's throwing rocks at her, like crucifying her, and everyone that hits makes a mark, and she bleeds like Jesus. And... I made a whole story around that so I could do that scene. And that scene doesn't take place until the two-third mark in the novel.
2: Holy fuck, dude. Y- so you, know, you started so, with that idea, just that scene that you wanted to build up to, and then you're like, mm-hmm. reverse, did you, so you didn't outline the reverse engineer to that point? You just started writing, and you were like, how do I get to that Just started point?
1: writing, and fuck, I, knew I was going to get there. Uh, and And actually, I might, I, Forgive me if I told this story on on the first show I was on, but I'm going to tell it again. I had that I, when I was thinking of that idea. And again, I'm getting deja vu, forgive me. But I was thinking of that idea sitting in this chair right here. I'm in my den. I live in a twin, so it's a small house. I got the bathroom right here. My bedroom is here. My son's room is right behind me. And my son was 13 at the time. And he was having a sleepover. And I'm sitting here looking at Bloody Mary. All of a sudden, I think about this. I'm really zoned. And my son was having a sleepover with his friends, Nick and Will. And all of a sudden, when I'm in the zone and I'm jotting stuff down, whatever, I don't know what's going on anywhere else in the house. So all of a sudden, he's right up in my ear and he goes, Dad! And I jumped the fuck out of my chair because I was thinking about (laughs) scary shit. And I go, what? And he goes, I need Red Bull. I go, th-
2: <laughs> what the fuck?
1: <laughs> right? And I, and I go, you're 13 fucking years old. What do you need Red Bull for? He goes, Nick and Will are sleeping over. He goes, whenever we have a sleepover, the first one who falls asleep, he gets oatmeal in his fucking shorts. Nah. And I thought, right? And I thought, wait a minute. I have my rock throwers. I go there. Three kids named Mike. I rename my son Mike instead of Max. Nick and Will. I name them them. And Mike, uh, or Mike's dad, works at the graveyard. He's a grave digger. So Mike has access to his dad's keys. And on the first night of November snow, they all tell their parents they're going over to each other's house. They hook the keys open up the tool shed in the graveyard on the first night of November snow and decide to get high and tell ghost stories and then Mike has inside information that they're giving air to a corpse that wasn't deteriorating fast enough which is normal practice in graveyards so the mounting dowels have her thing open and it's a girl named Alice Arthur who died last summer swimming down the shore and she's their age she's 14 and they go down to look at the body after telling stories and she and her spirit falls in love with Mike and stalks him and that's and that's how that story got written
2: holy crap oh,
1: no. dude that's crazy dude yeah hey, and, and, and it, to, to
2: make you feel better you did not tell that story in the last episode i've never uh, heard that story before so that was fucking awesome
1: uh, <laughs> I, I i have a better one i oh, will shit. i will send i will gift you a an electronic copy that has an app where you can put it right on your phone if you want or you could put it on your computer i'll gift it to you tonight
2: fuck yeah awesome. dude love that ladies and gentlemen Make sure you get out there, support art. Go check out Michael's fucking stories. You're missing out. If you like horror, you're going to miss out. Go check it out. It's cool. Links in the link's in the description. They're all over the place. Check support art. Out. Take care of yourselves. You can
0: thank me later. Thanks.
2: Thank Ralph later. In the comments, be like, hey, Ralph, I read it. It was fucking awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and until next time, take care of yourselves. Take care of other people. Be good fucking humans. Always fucking forward. Peace.